the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry. As always, sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Before we get into today's discussion, I would like to mention that I have a Patreon account at www.patreon.com forward slash M-U-H-H. I'm looking to have about 45 additional patrons uh, by the end of the year. Uh, That's our goal. We've made some progress, but uh, getting to today's episode, this is going to be a B-side between myself and Taylor Atkins following the recording of one of our Super Guattario Brothers episodes where we've been looking at Felix Guattari's The Machinic Unconscious, which Taylor himself actually translated. So this is a little bit of a, of a post-episode after the cuff, kind of fun episode, um, where we start out talking about uh, death metal and, and move on to uh, Deleuze and Guattari by the end. So enjoy today's episode. Metaphor to describe a lot of these these perceptions of sound and color you know we can it's just one of the weird ways that our body makes sense of perceptions the waves of perceptions that sort of bombard us but uh yeah i'm sure that concert would have been fucking you know incredible and there's a whole technological aspect this whole the whole aspect of the mechanosphere to make possible the exactly the propagation of those waves at a certain intensity and decibel to allow for that even to be possible drop f no drop g drop g tuning i think okay or maybe even drop a which typically like heavy music is usually a drop d tuning right 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 it's it it kind of reminds me of have you ever listened to any like black metal not too much um i'm trying to think like the hardest shit that i'm familiar with is like more like mashuga like which is kind of math metal i mean mashuga's that's a great example too is like the Hate breed, like that kind of stuff. That's about as like. Well, Masuga is, is, you know, it, they they come from the from the Swedish side of death metal, but they took it to that technical level. You, yeah. you call it math metal, and and because its roots are melodic, at least in you know in the Gothenburg area. I'm I don't know if they're from Gothenburg, but you know you have In Flames and uh, At the Gates and these other bands that were quote unquote melodic death metal, and of course Masuga takes that to a they 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 incorporate other genres of music and then add that you know, that hyper syncopation of, of which, which is what we call, you know, math metal just as a way, as a shorthand to describe the, you know, the, the manipulation sometimes, you know, jarringly jagged of these time signature changes or these, these just absurd, as DC was talking about earlier, right. With, with money and, and seven fourths, but yeah, with black metal, the whole, like, the, and now it has like cultural implications for Norway. You know, Norway black metal is like Norway's answer to the to the metal question posed by by Sweden, saying like, yeah, that's not really what our metal is. You know, we're a little bit colder or whatever. I don't know. So like, but the the whole conceptual 
aspect of the genre is that there's a there's a tuning of the guitar such that there's like a wall of sound and the guitars are very they are repetitive and so it has aspects of drone it also has aspects of like sabbath doom so you create this wall of sound with the drums that are usually like pinning on the beats per minute but a lot of times it's hyper beats per minute right it's double bass and just constant snare symbol um and it creates this kind of have to hear it but this background noise that that comes to the forefront and it is this wall of sound and on that wall of sound you have very technical hyper high um, note strumming of of the chords it's more instead of like having these crunchy chords that blend together you can hear the hyper like picking of the the guitars that create this very um it's very high pitch, but it's it's a very it's a very uh, intense and 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 fast uh, hyper um, resonance uh, and and reverberation. So it's and in that sense, it's very like primordial because it it like eschews the either the elaborateness of the time structure of Meshuga, which you know is very technical, or it, it eschews the um, the more mellifluous sounding of of the Swedish death metal guitars that that don't have that, that, um, it's a different type of intensity. It's a different time of almost of territory, you could say, of marking of, of style. And that's kind of what genres try to like, you know, um, signify is this marking of a territory of, of how rhythm and melody and harmony is coalesce. Played. Yeah. Assemblages. Yeah. I like a lot of, uh, I like the old school, like the early black, the early Sabbath albums, like the, mm-hmm. the very analog crunch that they have. Yeah is like you it's you can't recreate that even like in their 80s albums they lack that it's a more once it goes like kind of quasi digital it you lose something you start to see them evolve over the 70s yeah i mean the, their their self-titled album and the self-titled track that that first track you can really that right there is like the essence of of doom metal that'll that's still around and still sort of harken back to as as a kind of origin but you do see them evolving you know more and more each album to the point that you know when in the 80s when they come out with heaven and hell and dio is the new lead singer and ozzy's taking on his solo career um yeah they do kind of shift to a a, a more a more um heavy metal style while still keeping some of their you know it's just it's an interesting question about you know do you stay true to the roots or by staying true to your roots like do you somehow do yourself a disservice by like cutting off a creative yeah. arc Right. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the opposition, I mean, in black metal, for example, the most progressive and technical have interweaved elements from all different kinds of genres, not just modern, but also ancient, like more uh, almost Gregorian, like uh, mellifluous chanting, which would be kind of against the primitive aesthetic of, of black metal, because there is a kind of at its roots and its cult roots. It's like very primitive, um, but also bringing in jazz, which would be almost... Um, kind of anathema to the original sound of, of, of black metal. And I think it's that, you know, when, once you think the origin is a place in time rather than something that's already in play and like doesn't necessarily pre-exist all of its variations, that's when you start to, that's a, that's a quasi-fascistic, but at least a territorializing, you know, function. Let's see, I usually like kind of the, I like odd time signatures. I like mm-hmm. time changes. I like layers. I like texture. Radiohead's my favorite band by far, like of all time. Yeah, and they show growth from album to album. They show experimentation. They show, uh, you know, by their progressiveness that they they span, they trans, they traverse different genres. Um, and they, that's kind of how I feel about the Beatles. You look at their trajectory, the, the, the type of experimentation they were able to undergo, not just in their songwriting, but in the, the crafting of 
the, I mean, like I always think of George Harrison as being such an innovative guitarist because, you know, I mean, they did have those first few albums where they're sort of making their name and they're, they're, they're for a label and they're getting money. They have that bubblegum image or whatever. And that's sort of also classic rock, but turned into pop. But then, you know, they get that, they get that freedom to, to start to experiment, um, not just with music, but with drugs and at the same time. Um, but yeah, Harrison never sort of relying on a, on a, on like a texture of the, the sound of his guitar or any genre to, to make himself identifiable. He's, he's sort of always he's moving through all these different kinds of genres and never sort of reproducing the same, like, like a trope, you know, he's, he, and this is, I think why he wanted to learn to play the sitar, you know, with his transcendental meditation, because it, he had like deterritorialized the guitar and like sought, um, sought sounds that weren't possible, right. With the guitar. So, um, Reminds me of a little bit what Guattari says about Western music, Western capitalist music, right? Versus these, um, yeah, you know, whether into that, right? Well, we, we had a lot to talk about. I mean, I do think that we had to talk about the, the riots and the looting. And, um, I, I thought about it when we were recording, but I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to disparage my friends, but since you and I are in confidence and even if you're recording this, I don't you know care. I, my coworkers mentioned it today at Starbucks this morning, and you know um, they're all of different like ethnicities and backgrounds. Um, but the the general consensus was just kind of a not not as I mean it was more like a why 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 burn why loot. Um, and I think that it's you know as as I was trying to tell them, I was just like because because fuck property if if that's what it takes to get you know to send a message and it, it, you know it's. It's. I think that's the thing that I was mentioning too. It's not about recognition. They don't. They don't recognize their own class struggle in the in what's going on, right? So very true. Huh. It's not about money. It's about sending a message. <laughs> Everything well, burns. Yeah, that's well, like that's, literal Joker dialogue. <laughs> that's that's true, like. <laughs> and it's what it's Anne Sexton who says, um, "I burn like money burns" or something. She's. I'm, I'm butchering it probably, but that's. Uh, that, so kind of a famous line and it it's this question of you know if we are merely vessels biological vessels to be burned up you know obviously the analogy of the matrix right we're little we're little copper tops um to be tapped for capitalism's sake and depending on our privilege not just racially but obviously financially you know it's um there's a whole hierarchy obviously of privileges and it's it's this you know um I mean, it all starts with COVID. You can't talk about these. I mean, obviously, the the, the singularity, like the the sort of kindling, is is another senseless death. Is Floyd's death, and I say senseless. I mean, it has obviously it doesn't mean meaningless. Right. Uh, it's meaningless from a certain capitalistic like stereotype, but not from the lives of everyday people who resonate. You know, with that kind of um, denial of not just certain privileges, but, but rights, right. Human rights. And it's, I, I guess that's, that's the thing, right. It's, it's this, this, and, and in America, it's much crazier than a lot of other countries. You know, a lot of the countries suffered great losses. We know, we know Italy had was, was hit pretty hard. We know uh, China too, at least in certain regions was hit pretty hard and cer- certain, uh, even Sweden didn't do, you know, considerably considering its neighbors didn't do so well. Uh, the UK too, right. We know. Uh, so, we see that a lot of political engineering and, and undertakings, and not just from the state too, right? We heard about the cartels or the gangs in South America and Mexico that were like 
enforcing distancing rules or whatever. And I, you can make it that I what you heard, will. I did not hear that. That's oh, well, fucking great though. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, that, that's a totally different scenario, but I'm just uh, saying, you know, we here in the U S and the UK and, um, but Italy took it seriously and like locked down and ended up, but, but you still see that like there's a, ours is singular, at least to a certain extent. It's, it's, it's at least we know it's, it's aggravated in terms of, and even the amount of lockdown, considering the states that were hit really hard, like Italy, it never got that bad. But but the, but the discourse surrounding it, and you know, the media's role in sort of either covering it, which is you know important, but also on you know, say, downplaying it, like Fox was doing, because it's about you know, it's about money, and it's about also not seeing a crisis or a tragedy occur under you know a Republican president, because part of it is about will to power and Trump's. I mean, all of the shit that he's trying to distract with lately, all, or all of his just pet projects that he's had lately, or that he's always had, but it's much more like intense and rapid now, rapid fire. Um, is this, you know, is this awareness about it's, you know, it's about being reelected. So mail-in votes, no, that increases the voter pool. That's, that has to be, because um, it's, it's not, it's not about, unless you just, unless you just assume everything he says is based on a conspiracy theory, because he does at least, you know, peddle them if not believe in them and there's at least anecdotal evidence that he does believe in them or he's influenced by them but that could be part of his you know the hamster wheel thinking politically but yeah that's um i mean that's even how corona was described at, uh, in some of the early stages is, is it's just a hoax to you know they just want to they just want to uh make me lose the election right and um it's just more TDS, right? That you always fucking see, and it's. Um, I think that that part of it led to inflaming that you couldn't really call it libertarian in the sense that DC was articulating. It's this, you know, it's this whole social distancing is for pussies and masks are for for pussies right. and all that shit. Um, yeah. That nonchalance in the face of becoming a one's the uh, uh, one's brother's keeper, right? Is Am I my brother's keeper? I'm not going to wear a mask because I don't, you know, I don't give a shit about my life, but it's really more, I don't give, or it's really not that it's more like I, my freedom is worth your life or your jeopardy, the jeopardy of your life. That, that's part of it too. Oh, that's to me. I think that's the, that's the majority of it is like fucking, I don't know. Conservatives never exit their like edible phase. Right. in their echo chamber. They're just constantly feeling castrated all the time. Like, that's their modus operandi mm -hmm. is castration. Mm -hmm. And they can't, yeah. they never evolve past being slighted by something like some by, by the other. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the ways that like Trump, I think that one of the most, one of the things that like is a, is a thread, a guiding thread throughout his antics, not even before he was president is this assertion of, of dominance, excellence of right of vehemence too, which is part of the bullying and the authoritarianism, and then at the same time, simultaneously, this playing out of victimhood and announcing one's martyrdom and one's right. scapegoating, and even while paradoxically having the like biggest soapbox or one of the biggest mouthpieces of any human on the fucking planet, um, and that's part of why like Twitter has to be shut down because they're not going to be like Facebook, like Mark Zuckerberg, at least not fully Mark Zuckerberg to be like, yeah, just fucking lie. I don't care. Give us money. You know, um, <laughs> Twitter actually starting to like either pull or, or like warning, like, you know, it's, um, of course that's gonna, that's gonna, that just, it, it, even though it's merited, 
and it is married. We know for, for, for years that he's been violating the fucking, you know, their policies. Um, and of course that's, they're never going to fully like ban his account or suspend it or whatever, because it's, you know, not only because of the backlash, but because it's a profit margin for them. Right. Right. So yeah. True. He's cool. a, he's a carnival barker for their platform. Hey, get the unfiltered truth for me daily or fucking daily, like almost by the hour. Yeah. Sometimes more depending, you know, he's, um, so that's, that's so to have a filter or to at least like stamp it, mark, mark it with a, like, like this is, these are not, a, this is not endorsed by Twitter, you know, like that kind of shit. The, yeah, they, it gives him, I think it gives him in the short term more political ammunition, but he's always going to make ammunition out of anything. He would, he's been railing against not just news organizations, but social media organizations since before the election. It's, it's all, you know, it's all strategy. It's not, it's not chess. It's just, it's just a consistent, like a part of demonization, bullying, victimhood. It's this cycle of strange um, rage, like building for the base. Cause it's all about piss off the base towards the other people and then give, give them the red meat. Right. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So in that sense, he's like a conductor, right? That's that to go to refrains. He's like Damn conducting <laughs> this, he's conducting this chorus, right, bro? Yes. He's like, Oh, that's brilliant. Um, brilliant. And there's a cacophony. It's not a symphony necessarily, but he's trying to like weave these, you know, he's, he's well. continuing to try to like, and I mean, that's part of what cult, cult leaders do, right? They, they, they are in certain sense conductors. Um, they have to try to, but they're, they're more than that because it's, it's not a pre-established musical like performance. It's, uh, it's something that's, you know, it's, um, it takes on its own types of politics, but its own kind types of policing that gets eternalized, right? So cult members that will call out other cult members for like any perceived infraction, be it imaginary or like, you know, you the whole adage about like the last Soviet to clap for Stalin gets shot, you know, that kind of shit, which there's probably some basis to, to some extent. Um, but it's, you know, it's, I think that's why my wife is, is very, she's very fascinated in North Korea right? This, the leader, the cult of personality and the, the type of regime of politics it's had for, and then, and how it's developed throughout the, the different, um, Kims. So that's, it's kind of like this train wreck that she can't look away from and keeps wanting to like soak up all the information about. Um, cause it's a, it's kind of a morbid fascination, but it's also, it's also an extreme study in human psychology and, the most radical forms of statehood, uh, but also failing states, you know, to use Chomsky, Chomsky's terms and um, not that we need to just that that's part of part of these riots. It is a part of failed states, right? I mean, and it doesn't help to think that our neighbor to the north and it's its type of help it's giving its citizens, um, you know, crisis of legitimacy, libidinal crisis, crisis of legitimacy. That's yeah, that, I mean that's that's good. That's um, I think that was one of the, the one of the birth one of the first Leotar books, which is also translated by Masumi and Jeff Bennington, who was my former professor. They translated, you know, the postmodern condition this this notion that capitalism doesn't doesn't need states. The states it's 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 kind of like the death of God. The states states are dead. It, they, it's just does it, it takes a while for the unconscious right. to like. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think now with social media and that is it's it's impossible like states are going to try to ratchet up their authoritarianism but it's too late like it's already beyond their control 
it's already escaped and it bake there's no way that the material reality that it's created will allow right something like the united states to function because the narratives are it's impossible to maintain a nar- story that big you can't do it any longer yeah I have- you can't you can't mo- you can't monopolize your narrative for right. that that to cover that large of a territory that by nature will have to shrink and that's what you're seeing all across yeah. the globe. I mean, that's why look at all the like Chile, uh, you know, France, et cetera, et cetera, because they cannot states can't deal with it. They're inequipped. They're it has escaped them and it's eluded their grasp. Right, right. I mean, I think that it's this notion of sort of well, a lot of uh, a lot of this is like this civilization and its discontents, and we see in the the sort of terrifying low numbers of of voter. Um, participation um, and we see it in the youth too that's that's been a but that's I mean that obviously that's been a refrain for generations but it's but it but it, but throughout time you know it's exacerbated and aggravated as much as the disparity of wealth and these other conditions that it's not cause and effect right it's it's part of the same kind of crazy uh, this abstract machine of capitalism in the in this I mean I, I think the great Gatsby is like great for understanding some of this stuff just the the notion of east and west and the expansion of of capitalism taking it to its extremes and sort of the extravagance of of that kind of lifestyle of wealth and decadence and the also the irresponsibility and sort of the lack of empathy and care about about others as long as i get mine with right. with daisy and tom sort of they they fuck things up and then they move on to a new place and, and they're kind of parasitic that way and so you know there's a this this notion of well, it gets back to the notion of the viral, this notion of parasitism too, of sort of, um, you know, we're, we're as working class individuals or different, I mean, it's not just, it cuts across a lot of different swaths of people. We're just, we're, um, we're sort of a part of that sort of, we're a part of that mindset where we are viewed from those in power as the parasites on capital. We're just given enough to subsist, uh, if that, and, they're the great hosts, but it's the other way around as we, if we think about it, you know, in Marxian terms, in terms of the accumulation of wealth and sort of the, um, sort of lack of, you would say lack of humanity, but there's better ways of saying it. just lack of social collective empathy, a lack of a better vision of like society for the, for the greater good or the general welfare or, or more individuals, you know, there's, there's, there are some good things in utilitarianism, even if, you know, it's, it, it has to be like roundly critiqued for some of its presuppositions as laid out by Bentham and Mill and such and elaborated. But there's, you know, this the most good for the most people, you know, for Nietzsche, it's, you have to also leave room. And this is right. where the degrees of freedom come in. You have to also leave room for, for the monumental, for the, for greatness. But I think Nietzsche too would agree that that doesn't necessarily mean that the great soul in that sense is the master in any sort of capitalistic sense or, uh, or, you know, neither master of, of slaves as, as property, nor necessarily um, master of, of capitalistic flows. So as to, so as to make them that kind of greatness, I think for Nietzsche is, um, it's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily lead to a great individual. It just leads to a great fucking huge parasite um, because he can think of it collectively too. He just, at certain points you see him shift from like, um, you know, the collective needs to be cared for and, and because it's precisely a, a type of gregariousness that shouldn't be slaves to like 
domesticated Christian morality, et cetera, right? That there needs to be a dynamicity in, in the collective, even if on its, even if at its base, you know, Nietzsche looks down on it, but he, he's, you know, it's, that's part of his aristocratism too. Um, that's the great thing about Stirner, I think, is that he has a certain, like he's got a certain anti-essentialist element that is, but without the like, without the baggage of that aristocracy that, that Nietzsche has. Um, and next week I'm going to be talking to uh, Saul, Saul Newman. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. He's like a, he's a post-structuralist anarchist type. He has this concept of like post-anarchism, which is like an ontological anarchism, like an anarchism in that sense. Um, so not a lot of like concrete praxis other than, you know, working on that project, which whatever, but... Um, no, I mean, I think that's important. I think that I think that in a different vein, Simon Don is, he may not call it anarchy, he'd probably call it like allegmatics or something, this sort of uh, operative exchange, um, the relational ontology that really isn't an ontology at all. It's it, it's already, you know, uh, up, uprooted itself from the archetypal model or the hylomorphic model, the different models of stable equilibrium that ground it, so to speak, as as in its ontological sufficiency. And, and this is why like, you know, the, the genesis of thought has to mirror the genesis of beings. And we can't do that through ontology. We can only do it through ontogenesis and we're always playing catch up. There's, and that's, it's, it's kind of Kantian in the sublime right sense that like, you know, the imagination outstrips the understanding and there's like this critical moment of disparity. But I think for Simon Dunn, it's, it's much more dynamic because it's, it's, I mean, that's how he defines transductive. And I think that that's kind of where um, Deleuze and Guattari and Guattari here go into like, you know, these, it's, there's always these communications of different dimensions and levels and regimes and components, you know, not just because of the molecular, the molar, the, the quanta of possible, but that's, that's the abstract machine, right? That, and the refrain is able to like cut these, these vectors throughout these different, um, different aspects and forces them to communicate and, and that we have to, if we don't think that, then we're sort of always going to be on a level of ontological hierarchy or, um, or we're always going to be thinking in terms of stable equilibrium with, with like presupposed corpuscles of matter and form. Right. And, and we can't really get to the, like, as they, I think Guattari calls it what the end, the, the end dimensional thought, the thought with end dimensions where everything starts to think at the same time. Um, I think that that's part of, well, I don't even think it's necessarily like panpsychic because it's it's not necessarily ontological in that sense, right? I think that's where he's not panpsychistic. Uh, he's because that presupposes sort of uh, the identity of of entities that then would have minds, and I think that that's not what he's saying necessarily with the n-dimensional thought. Um, thought itself is that deterritorializing line, and I think Deleuze would say that too because it's about a critique of images of thought. That images of thought do injustice to like the force of thinking that the violence of thought that that occurs and so that's what that's where we're at we're in a violence of thought but it's it's being actualized right sterner is like the er anti-essentialist materialist mm -hmm. because you know like the meme is the spooks right so egoism is not do whatever you want because like let's say you're trump and you're you or a capitalist and you want to accumulate wealth the narrative of accumulation of wealth is something that you submit yourself to and so in that way it is not what sterner is discussing when he's talking about egoism which i think is is 
quite fascinating to encounter a left egoism mm-hmm. because everyone automatically assumes that even Sterner is like, you know, there's a lot of res- resentment to the individual when, when you're talking to Marxists and people like that as like this bourgeois thing. And that's sort of the interesting dialectic, I think, between sort of the Hegelian approach and uh, the Deleuzean approach. Although I think even Deleuze falls into the back into Hegel a lot. Yeah. That, he doesn't acknowledge it. Yeah. Deleuze is interesting here. I mean, this is, this is the subject of that. I think I might've mentioned it to you, that 800 page book on Deleuze's ontology that I would hope to, I'd love to translate one day um, for Edinburgh press. Cause they do a lot of, they publish a lot of Deleuzeana. Um, <laughs> Deleuzeana. That's good. Yeah. I mean, a lot, but this is, I mean, in terms of like one secondary lit book to read on Deleuze, if it's in English now, I would, my, my two cents is actually um, Dan Smith's dissertation, but that's only if one's like, truly like okay what are what's what's to lose trajectory what what's like the tell me about all the different philosophers that are important for him it's it is in terms of the introductory text i think the the best but then like if you started with that and then like maybe there were a book out there right now i would just throw out throw my two cents out there that bergen's the Liz's ontology that 800 page book if you've got that, if you got a background in Deleuze, because she'll cite every fucking book. I mean, she's got she's got eleven hundred citations in there, um, footnotes that. Jesus. <laughs> a lot of them are just citing the page of Deleuze and some other thinkers, but she's got she's got a lot of her own critical insights, you know, interspersed too. And uh, you know, she's going to go through the whole corpus of works. She'll she has diagrams about how concepts change from book to book, from decade to decade. Um, it's it's one of those really inspiring works of secondary literature that you don't you don't come across every day um you know the it's it's it spans like the gamut from beginning to advance because you know she's she's already thinking like towards the synthesis but she goes through like step by step and thinker by thinker and problem by problem in a way that that is very uh accessible too to those who either need to brush back up on their Deleuze or clarify a point or even starting with them. So she does something that I think is very difficult where she's not just talking to like Deleuzean specialists, but she has something to say for them and doesn't leave them out. She's able to like really think about this wide range of, of an audience who um, could jump right in. And, and she gives them, she gives them a guide to say like, okay, now you, go read Deleuze himself and like, here's where some of these problems are. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm synthesizing them. And, and, and the whole point though is the whole book is this movement of, you know, Deleuze being Hegel's dark night and Hegel being Deleuze's dark night and this uh, reciprocal determination almost and this reverberation of the thinkers. So it's not just like Hegel is right. Deleuze is wrong. It's like they, she's, she's, she's that, trained in philosophy where she has this intimate knowledge of Hegel too and is able to sort of move through them, put them in a dialogue, oppose them, but also superpose them in productive ways rather than just kind of siding with Deleuze because she's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I think is like the frustrating thing to deal with. Oh, definitely. It It is very... Uh, That's one so, of those discussions yeah. and, and conversations that Deleuze doesn't want to have, right? It. it it depends because I mean, in difference of repetition, definitely Hegel is, you know, he is an interlocutor and he's very pivotal for a lot of the movements that Deleuze makes. And there's a certain extent to where he does this Spinoza contra Hegel thing that, um, what's the guy 
Um, it was one of Altasir's students. He wrote the book. Is it Masheray? I think Masheray wrote uh, Hegel or Spinoza, which has been recently translated. Um, he was one of the contributors to the Reading Capital volume. Um, it's one of those. Yeah, Altasir had a, had a lot of good students. I mean, Deleuze is one of them, but just not the. Um, not. I don't know if he's associated with that group. But anyway, the whole point being, um, there was a way that. It's not just Spinoza, though. He draws on Bergson, Spinoza, Nietzsche. There's, and then these, he layers these thinkers, these supposedly minor voices. I mean, Nietzsche had, um, he was helping Nietzsche become acceptable as a philosophical um, thinker in his own right with Foucault in France. And, um, you know, there's, but also Marx is, is marshaled against Hegel too. And, and they, he puts all of these thinkers in a dialogue that's, that's productive, and he tries to show the shortcomings of proceeding by the negative. I think that's that's his one. Like, if yeah. you had to like sum it down to, and and what the negative means for Hegel, what the negative means for Deleuze, and it's only by tackling that problem that we can then talk about difference of repetition. So Hegel is like, he's 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 indispensable for understanding sort of the basic philosophical um, trajectory of difference of repetition. And uh, I think that's why he's 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 interesting. And then with Guattari, they go on the witch's broom, and they just he takes a lot of that philosophical like conceptualization with him, and uh, Guattari plugs him into all of these different dimensions that he had only considered it kind of from the central point of view of philosophy's purview and its interests. Whereas I think Guattari was saying, "Hey, let's apply this. Right? Let's yeah. let's show where it's at work." That makes sense. Um. I just got a book yesterday. This sounds real. This is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's Sean McQueen is the author. Okay. It's called uh, Deleuze and Baudrillard from cyberpunk to biopunk. That sounds so, super dank. That's, that's interesting. Um, I can see some of that. Definitely. I mean, I can see. Well, like, like I said in the podcast recording, I think honestly what he set out to do with symbolic death and exchange was to be his own anti-Oedipus. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I think I think very much so um, because yeah, it's dealing it's dealing with political economy in the sense in the same sense in the very like broad broad direction without lapsing into like later on he becomes very much I guess deterministic and uh, you know very jaded and like sort of the enjoy the you should just like don't don't bemoan the loss of the real you should just accept mm -hmm. it and and go with it. Yeah, that's... It's not, it's not bad. I think that, you know, that could be, it, it's interesting, right? Because I assume he means that in the, at least having the Lacanian sense of the real in mind. And, um, oh yeah. And he def he definitely does. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the contestations with Lacan too, is like, um, this question of, well, the question of style that they bring up the refrain stuff, it, it comes back to like, for example, the book form, question in the rhizome plateau and you know the different types there's the tree book the radical book and then the the rhizome book and um i mean all these different plateaus are they're yeah they're they're these self-vibrating regions of intensity and milieus of intensity um but we we see the refrains like throughout the book you know they even I th they talk about it i think in the rhizome introduction that some lines for one plateau started like ants traveling across pages to like <laughs> other plateaus and so yeah there's this whole um oh nice yeah the book um i just got a shitload of stuff 
the other day. Um, I got a ton. And my friend, uh, you might, I think you might follow him. She looks like Logan Kirkland or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's got, he uh, shared a whole fucking Dropbox that was like 50 gigs of <laughs> Deleuze and Guitar and like acceleration as shit. That's, so that's actually where I copped that. I got three ecologies. Mm, that's good. I got the yeah. Eugene Holland Deleuze and Guattari intro to Anti-Oedipus. Yep, that's, that's a pretty good guy. What is, what is philosophy, assemblage theory, chaosophy, difference in repetition, Nietzschean philosophy, Baudrillard's mirror production system mm-hmm. of objects. I got Reza's uh, Cyclopedia. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a wild ride. Schizoanalytic cartographies. And then Machinic Eros. Is that the Writers of Japan? Yeah. You want me to send you that too? Yeah, I, I mean, that's would be great. I, no, I don't think so. I have to rebuild my library. It's it's somewhere. I it's I have a lot of it on the other computer. So like the laptop's like it's ripe for starting a new one, branching out. Yeah, that's it's wild though. I'm just looking forward to the. I'm looking at the chapter six and see a lot of the stuff that's uh, it kind of cuts across all the different chapters chapters one through five. So, um, and starts to lay down some of like the, what schizoanalysis would do as a, as a form of praxis. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool there. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be super interesting for sure. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot. So I, I would suggest probably just, you know, we can reference ATP if we need to, but this is, it's going to have a lot in here that we could delve into and we'll, we'll defer. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to set a date, maybe sometime, you know, middle, late next month, whenever you can work it out. Yeah. Well, it's probably a good time to to wind down to, to anything else you wanted to say before we, we logged off. No, nah, man, that's it. It's been great, man. It's been good. Oh, I, yeah. think, I think we have good shit. Um, we, are you going to try to get it out by Monday like you normally do? Or I will. I'm actually going to wait. I'm a week ahead. So I've got my Todd McGowan episode is going to launch Monday. So gotcha. The yeah. Following the following week. Yeah, that sounds good. Yep. Schedule. Cue us into the schedule. Oh, for um, sure. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off. But uh, good good job today. And I, I as always, I appreciate you uh, you bringing us together and keeping us on track and <laughs> and just keeping us um, keeping us organized and, and and editing and posting all the stuff. I mean, it couldn't you you help. Well, you just help make our little assemblage function, right? <laughs> right? You're you're the critical point. So so I appreciate I appreciate what you do, man, and just love love getting to hang out. Oh, fucking hey, dude, it's awesome. I love it. All right, well, I'll be in contact on on Twitter, um, and I'll take a look at these books and and yeah, sounds give good. give them a look see. All right, but uh, I'll talk to you later. Okay, buddy. All right, yeah, take it easy, man. Thanks, Coop. The very rules of eating, of negativity and singularity. Including the ultimate form of security, which is the whole state of things, in view of violence without object. This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real. Vanishing point of reality. 